Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the 20th Sunday after Trinity is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments about today's sermon, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website, faithlutheran-aflc.org. Now let's join in and hear what God has to say to us today. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the psalm appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Psalm 96, which can be found on page 934 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Psalm 96, verses 1 through 13. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. Heavenly Father, these are your words and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Why do we, as Christians, praise God? That's an interesting question, and I don't know how often I have ever really thought about it. It seems like a natural thing for me to do. I was born and raised in a Christian home. I've gone to church all my life. But why do we praise God? Why do we all come together and sing praises to the God of the universe? I think there's some answers that are worth exploring. Sometimes we praise God spontaneously out of the joy we have for what we've received from him. When when things are going well and we can see the hand of God working in our lives, it's easy to praise God. For some, it's quite natural to sing God's praises. But we don't always do that. Sometimes we forget to praise God. Sometimes, if things aren't going so well, we don't feel like praising God. Certainly, in Scripture, we've been commanded to praise God, and commands to praise God are all over the Bible, including Psalm 96 this morning. The command to ascribe to the Lord is a command to give him the praise that is due him. That's literally what the word ascribe means here. It means to give. Not as a present, but it's to give willingly what is owed. 
And so, in in a sense, the command to praise God is simply a command to acknowledge who God has revealed himself to be and to acknowledge what God has done for us. But we don't often feel like listening to God's commands. We regularly disobey God, even in the command to praise. So why do we praise God? In the end, the answer will always come back to we simply praise God because of who he is. And he, in fact, does deserve our praise. He's the God of the universe. He created everything that exists. The Bible tells us, and we rejoice, that he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And we respond to these realities with praise. But according to Psalm 96, this praise and these realities impact us in three very meaningful ways. First, we praise God because God is the one who saves us. Now there's a very interesting pattern in verses 2 and 3. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the people. And so there's a pattern in Hebrew poetry that I probably really need a whiteboard to illustrate, but you're just going to have to go with me. The way Hebrew poetry sometimes works is that you have a restatement of an idea with emphasis. And so when you've got two verses that are coupled together, the first part of the first verse and the first part of the second verse are related to each other. And then the second part and the second part are related to each other. And this is what's going on in verses 2 and 3. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. That matches up with the first part of verse 3. Declare his glory among the nations. It's the act of of proclamation. It's the act of speaking the truth. But it's the second part that we want to pay attention to. Tell of his salvation from day to day. That is paired up with his marvelous works among the people. And that is really interesting. Because the psalmist for us this morning equates God's salvation with his marvelous works. It's really important for us to take note of. All of the wonderful, powerful, miraculous things God has done, of all of them, salvation is the best. The Bible tells us that salvation is so important that God arranged all of human history just to accomplish it. That, in fact, is what the Old Testament lesson was about this morning, that the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before it happened, predicted through the Holy Spirit the presence of Cyrus, sending God's people back to the promised land. And everything that was done in the Old Testament and in the 400 years between the Testaments and even during Jesus' life, every single thing on the planet was ordered by God to prepare us for Jesus. That is absolutely astounding. Paul explains this to us. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. That God has so ordered his universe that he would direct all our attention. 
to the cross and to the empty tomb. That is marvelous. It is miraculous, and we ought not ignore its importance. We ought to pay attention to it, because this is what God is saying to us, and in the specific way God is saying it. Now, what's so interesting about that is now we're on the other side of the cross. So that, does that mean that God doesn't care about human history anymore? No, not at all. Because now, in your life, God is arranging human history so that every moment of every day is an opportunity for you to repent and receive salvation. It's a remarkable thing. It's something that was told about in the Old Testament and echoed in the book of Revelation that everything God does, I did this to you, but you refused to repent. I did this to you, but you refused to repent. And it's such a foreign concept to us because we equate repentance with punishment. But that's not what it's supposed to be. Repentance isn't necessarily punishment. It's an opportunity for comfort. And so if you have sinned, God absolutely wants you to repent. He wants you to repent so that you might be forgiven. But if something terrible happens and it's not your fault, God still wants you to repent so that you can be comforted that God hasn't abandoned you or forgotten about you. But most important of all of this in this concept is that the book of Romans tells us that every single good thing that happens to you, every blessing, every praiseworthy thing is an opportunity for you to repent. It's an opportunity for you to turn to God and to receive his grace and mercy, understanding that you don't deserve it. Salvation is God's most important work. And he is always ready and he is always willing to apply the benefits of salvation to you. To you personally as the best thing. Second meaningful way that God's praise impacts us is that God is our only option. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Every other god that people could potentially conceive of is false and worthless. Now, on one hand, that's super easy for us to conceive of. There's not a ton of competition for us to be worried about. I don't think anyone in this room is worried about the 300 million Hindu gods. I don't think any of us are tempted to be drawn along after the Greeks or the Romans or the Norse gods. As hilarious and interesting as they might be, they don't make for good gods because they're petty and cruel and they're even more screwed up than we are. No one wants that kind of God. But it's not just the empty statues and images the psalmist is talking about this morning. More importantly for us, every idolatrous abstraction is empty and vain. What that means is anything in your life right now that could be an idol is the same exact thing as those weird and false gods. If you are drawn after wealth or power or prestige or control, 
If if you are self-absorbed, if you're a narcissist, every one of those gods is a vain and empty idol as well. They have no power. They're fleeting. They are utterly worthless, as we read here in Psalm 96. But God, the God, the one God, the powerful God, the wise God, the God of the universe, He is not worthless. He is powerful. He is to be feared. Think about that. No one likes to think about the fear of God. We, we're used to God being some warm, grandfatherly figure. No one really likes to think that God, because he exists, is someone to be feared. Now, we can dull that a little bit. It would be true to talk about that he, well, we should be in awe of him. We should respect him. And certainly there's that idea in fear. But more than that, It's the idea that God does exist, which means that God is there to do stuff to us. That He can punish us for sin. That He can direct the events of all history. You know who else can do that? No one. No other option exists. So why is that here in Psalm 96 as an item of praise? Because it's that God, the God who exists, the God who is to be feared, that God is the God who saved you. That God, the God who can do stuff to you, the stuff he did is the stuff of salvation. The stuff he did is become a human and die on the cross in your place, and rise again and leave the tomb empty. The God that is there is the God that saves. And he's your only option. Finally then, God's praise affects us in this way. God comes, and he comes to judge. Closing verses of our psalm this morning read like this. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills us. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then all the trees for the forest shall sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. There are two simultaneous realities in this verse. In these verses, one, the first one we've already addressed. From the perspective of the psalmist, the coming God is really a prophecy of Jesus Christ. God comes, and indeed, he did come. He came in the flesh, and he came in the flesh to judge. That's exactly what Jesus did. He judged sin and death and the devil, and he condemned them. And he emerged victorious. And he sealed their defeat with his resurrection. And it's a tremendous promise for you and for me. And it's a tremendous reason for praise. But that's not it. Because knowing about God's first coming, we turn our eyes to God's second coming. And when Jesus comes again, he also comes to judge. And oddly enough, and I don't think I'll ever be able to sort this out in my brain, 
Jesus' second coming, in light of everything we've just said about God, Jesus' second coming remains a cause of fear and consternation for so many Christians today. And it shouldn't. For whatever reason, the end times, the thought of Jesus' return, brings Christians anxiety. And we are jumping at shadows around every corner, just waiting for the Antichrist to rear his ugly head, or this war to be the harbinger of the second coming, or this, that, or the other thing. Yes, this is definitely in response to what's going on in Israel right now. We're all waiting to be freaked out by the second coming. But we ought not to do that. We ought not to worry. Because the doctrine of the end times, what we call eschatology, has been given to Christians as a gift for our comfort. Jesus, God in the flesh, who conquered sin, death, and the devil for you and in your place, that same Jesus, who, by the way, is that same God who created the universe and everything in it, he is coming back for you. And he is coming back to usher you into eternity forever with him in his presence with no sin, with no death, with no pain, with no suffering, with no shame. The mere thought of the end times should cause us to break into song. Christians should be talking about the end times more than anything else, not because we got the newspaper over here and we're trying to decode God's puzzle, but because it's a sure and certain thing and it is your victory realized. Jesus comes back to judge. He comes back once and for all to put an end to sin, to put an end to Satan, to put an end to death. When you realize that and the great benefit it gives you, it is truly remarkable. You, right now, need not fear death. Need not worry about it. Need not give it a second thought other than that it is a defeated foe that even if you should die before Christ returns, you will open your eyes on the other side of eternity. And that is wonderful. And that is praiseworthy. And so we sing. So we speak about. So we even shout our praises. And according to the psalmist here in Psalm 96, we do all the ascribing we can possibly do. Giving the Lord his due for who he is, for what he's done, but especially for what he's done for us. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.